And open your Bibles, uh, if you have them, to 1 John chapter 1. Once again, I uh, wish to encourage you to get a copy in some form and read as we continue the series on 1 John, uh, the book by R.C. Sproul, uh, Loved by God. And again, if you're having trouble getting a copy, if you'll contact me or let us know at the office, we'll help you to get one. Um, it's very, uh, it'll be a profitable companion uh, to this study, and I want to encourage you to, to go ahead and do that. I ask you to turn now, um, in whatever di- device you might have, to 1 John chapter 1, and I'm starting to read this morning from verse 5 of 1 John. 1 John 1, 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask you to bless us now as we turn our attention to this testimony from your word. We pray, Lord, that you would feed us as your sheep, that, Lord, you would not leave us to ourselves, but, Lord, you would draw us closer to yourself through the preaching of your word. We thank you, Father, for this beautiful promise that's here, and we pray, Lord, that you would bless it afresh to our hearts, for we ask ask it in Christ's precious name. Amen. It's a testimony, I think, to the fallen nature of mankind that men and women continually take those things by which God has revealed himself in the world and try to employ them against him and against the truth of his existence. Refusing to see what's revealed, they try to take the evidence that speaks to his existence and to use it to prove that he, in fact, does not exist. And I think many of you will recall the words from Romans chapter 1, where Paul says, beginning in verse 18, this is Romans 1.18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. So the word of God claims that what may be known of God is plain because God has shown it. Because his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. That is, these things establishing the truth of who he is, according to the scripture, 
they are both fully seen and also made comprehensible to the human mind. These invisible divine attributes, his power and his divine nature. But unregenerate men and women look at that evidence and they deliberately say that it proves the opposite of what it reveals. Something as beautiful as the birth of a child, which clearly demonstrates divine design and purpose, becomes somehow evidence of a series of mindless evolutionary hiccups that prove we're just sophisticated animals that won the evolutionary lottery because we're at the top of the food chain, so to speak. And so we won, but it was just an accident. Now, that's not true of everyone, of course. Neither has it always been true in general in the scientific community. There was a time when scientists, rather than using their discoveries to deny the existence of God or the reliability of his word, actually used the evident truth that God does exist and that his word is reliable to guide them in their discoveries and in their understanding and in their application of scientific truth. Perhaps one of the most notable, but certainly not the only example of this, is Commodore Matthew Fontaine Maury. And if some of you children are looking for a good subject or a good person to write a book report about or a biography or something, I would recommend to you Matthew Fontaine Maury of the United States Navy. His credentials speak for themselves. Uh, The official statement of the U.S. Naval Institute concerning him is this. No single individual has done more for his fellow man in lessening the hazards of navigation than has Matthew Fontaine Maury. And then uh, no lesser personality than Admiral Byrd wrote about him saying, since travel in the present age has become so common, Maury may be looked upon as one of our great benefactors. His professional work turned out to be of happily wide application, not only for the seafaring man, but for the flyer, that is for the aviator. And so when you go flying to different parts of the country and different parts of the world, um, you're benefiting from the work of this individual. Mari's father was very concerned that his children know and understand the word of God. And when Matthew was a little boy, his father had the family gather every morning and every evening and read a psalm responsively. So every morning he got the family together, they read a psalm responsively. At the end of the day, they got together again and read another psalm responsively. In this, says his biographer, In this way, Matthew became so familiar with the Psalms of David that years afterwards he could give a quotation and cite chapter and verse as though he had the Bible before him. This early religious influence later colored all Maori's thinking and writing to a very marked degree, says Charles Lee Lewis. When Maori, as a respected naval officer, was injured and... uh, convalescing, he had his own son, because he wanted to keep up his father's tradition, had his own son read the Psalms to him. 
And one day his son was reading to him the eighth psalm. Beginning in verse 4, it reads like this. What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. Mari had him read that last verse several times. And finally, he said to his son, if God says there are paths in the sea, I'm going to find them if I ever get out of this bed. And that's exactly what he did. And this psalm was the direct inspiration for his discoveries from which you and I are still benefiting in our day. Now, I've cited this example before. So I'm not going to belabor it, but it serves as an example of how things have changed. Most today, rather than searching the word of God for clues to to gain a better understanding of the world that God has made, use what discoveries they do make to try and deny him and his creative power. Now the question is, why do I bring all this up this morning when we're going to 1 John chapter 1 here? Well, I bring it all up because of the statement you read in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 5, where the declaration is made by John that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. John is saying to his readers, we want you to know him and all that we found in him, in God. And part of our promise and his is that God is light. And this truth was declared by God regarding himself. And John says, and we have seen and heard nothing to the contrary. But this truth was confirmed to us in the communion we had with his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. When we walked with Christ... When we lived with him, when we were interacting with him, we saw the truth that God is light manifested in the Son. Now, what do we know about light? How does this mean anything to us? Well, one of the things we know about light is that it's pure. It's pure. John Lilly says, light is clear, transparent, translucent, patent, and open, always and everywhere, as far as its free influence extends. This purity is such that it remains unsullied by whatever it comes into contact with, even though the thing itself may be defiled. The air that's moving through this room is moving through filters. And those filters need to be changed regularly because this air is carrying all sorts of impurities in it, dust and dirt and all sorts of things, all manner of things. But if you were to take those same filters and pass just light through them, they'll remain remain clean because light is not defiled by touching anything. 
it isn't itself in any way infected. Nothing light touches defiles it. It may rest on the ugliest and most defiled scene, but it remains unsoiled. It only purifies. And that's the second area in which the nature of light can be demonstrated. That is how it reveals impurities or even the true color of things. Many people at one time or another discover when they step out into the sunlight that they've misjudged a color in the artificial light of their home. I have worn one navy blue sock and one black sock on more than one occasion because uh, in the artificial light of home, they look the same, but when I got out into the sunlight, I realized that subtle difference that only the sunlight could demonstrate. But beyond this, it's also used to determine flaws in everything, from skin to drywall, from pipes and conduit, to taillight assemblies for your automobile. They want to be sure there's no grease in there that might somehow short out the lamp. And so they determine that by shining a light in there to see if there's any grease in there. And that's also that they don't have to have a recall of your taillight assembly sometime later on when that grease has a, a, starts affecting the autos. And they do that by shining a light in there. Thirdly, Light is not only pure, and it not only exposes impurities, but it also purifies. If you use a a soda or a water bottle to scoop water out of a biologically contaminated pond or river, and you set that bottle in clear, bright sunlight for six hours or more, that water will become drinkable even if you don't do anything else to it. The sunlight pierces the cells of contaminating microbes and kills them, including E. coli and cholera and salmonella and parasites and rotaviruses. They're all destroyed by sunlight. But it goes beyond that. A recent study out of uh, Oregon involved common, dry, dusty rooms University of Oregon got several rooms together and they gathered dust and dirt from people's houses and they blew it into these rooms. One room they exposed to sunlight and fresh air. The other room they exposed to UV light and the third room they kept in the dark. And they immediately discovered that by merely exposing that one room to everyday sunlight, that room was purified from harmful microorganisms, almost to the same extent as the room that was exposed only to UV light. They just opened the windows and let the light shine in. And the the difference was, was hardly measurable between the room which they had UV light going all the time and the room that was just exposed to the sun. You don't want to hear about the room in the dark. Uh, It didn't not only kill anything, all sorts of things grew in there and uh, things that are especially threatening to the human respiratory system uh, growing in this dry, dusty room. Not the moldy room, 
dry, dry, dusty room. Now, how does all that reflect back on, on what we find here in 1 John chapter 1? Well, the Holy Spirit through John conveys to you the truth in this verse that God is light. And you see, the more that we understand of the qualities of light, the more it reveals to you and me what that means. The more we understand what light is, the more we understand what's being said here about our God in saying that he is light. Think about this in the context of what you know about your God. He is certainly pure. Calvin says that we understand that there's nothing in him but what is bright, pure, and unadulterated. And we think about how that's reflected in what we understand about light. It's pure. It can't be contaminated like other things can. And, and so God is pure in himself. John Lilly says light is the naked truth. It's very invisibility is in this view. It's power. It is not seen because it is so pure. So you have the purity of God. He is holy, holy, holy. And his righteousness is unsullied. And in him there is no darkness of any kind at all. But God is also light in the sense that he exposes all. He reveals iniquity and sin. He makes all things so manifest by his brightness that he suffers nothing vicious or perverted, no spot, no filth, no hypocrisy, no fraud to lie hid, says Calvin, because he exposes it all. And God is light also in the sense that he alone purifies. He offers the one and only path for finding purification from all of those impurities that he exposes as God and as light. And again, Calvin says, wherever God comes, all things are so imbued with his holiness that he washes away all filth. Now, we think of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was declared to be the light of the world. And interestingly and wonderfully, we see these aspects of of light and God being light manifested in Jesus Christ, his son, who was and is the light of the world. It's the same John who wrote this epistle who writes in his gospel concerning Jesus Christ. And he says this, and this is the first chapter of John, verses 1 through 9, which many of you have memorized. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. That's John the baptizer. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light 
the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And we look then for the qualities of light that we're familiar with in Christ. And we see, first of all, that he was without sin. He was pure in himself. In John 8, Jesus is being challenged by his enemies and among them, the unbelieving Jews. And we read this, that Jesus says to them, this is John 8, verses 45 and 46. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? And he goes ahead and opens himself to his enemies in this way and says, which one of you convinces me of sin? And there was no sin to be found in him. In the book of Hebrews, we read this in Hebrews 4, beginning in verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every way has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Pure. God is light. Christ manifested that light in his purity. In chapter 7, beginning in verse 25, we read there, Consequently, he that is Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Do you hear that testimony to his purity? Holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And in Christ we see that purity. Finally, John says in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 5, You know that he, he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. It's hard, beloved, to put into words. But he is not just proved to be pure by any light shining on him, he that is God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit are light itself. And in that sense, absolutely pure. Now secondly, he reveals sin. He is the light by which all imperfections, sins, and transgressions are detected. By the person and word of Jesus Christ, this is so. Well, what do we mean by that? Well, let me make it practical. Let's begin and start general, and then we'll bring it down to a few specifics. This room is full of people who profess to be Christians. Right? That's why we're here. We make a profession of our faith as Christians. Are you good Christians? You don't have to raise your hand about that. But are you good Christians? Consider how uncomfortable we would all be if there was a spotlight here 
that when you stepped into its light, it revealed all the imperfections in your faith and life. It made them manifest. Just a circle of light here in the front, right beyond the other side of the communion table there, that when you stepped into the pool of that light, everything is seen in its true light. But let's be specific. The light is turned on and it's set to reveal every violation of every child in regards to your honoring your mother and father according to God's commandment. You think there'd be a lineup of children wanting to step into that light? I don't think there would be one. But you know what, children? Your mothers and fathers are children too of their parents and they wouldn't want to step into it either. And how about spouses? We'll, we'll turn the, the character of the light now and it's just going to, it's just going to expose everything that is every imperfection in relationship to your spouse and your relationship with him or with her. Who wants to be first to come stand in the light? And it doesn't matter, does it, if you think you're the better spouse. You know, if you kind of think, well, I'm really the better one, but I still don't want to go stand in that light. You don't want to walk into a ray of light that exposes all. Preacher, elder, deacon, seminary professor, employee, employer, friend, enemy, teacher, student, cabinet maker, nurse, or doctor. If any one of us walks into such a light in whatever capacity, our sins, imperfections, and transgressions will be revealed and we will be humbled by that experience. Oh, beloved, you do have such a pool of light. It's right here. The word of God. The law of God. And beyond that, beloved, it is the light of Christ himself. In him we see the pure light of God. If you want to examine the true character of your love for God, compare it to the love Christ had for the Father. Because that's where it's demonstrated. That's where the light shines. That's what the light reveals. That's how it exposes the impurities. If you want to know what the true character of love towards your neighbor looks like, examine it in the pure light of Christ's loving heart. Examine it there and see where it stands. 
And I think it's easy enough to see how this applies in every aspect of life. And nothing reveals more convincingly and profoundly that we're sinners indeed than this exercise. If it's done honestly, if we step into the light, we will have no alternative but to agree with God and his word and admit all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We'll have no alternative. If we step into this light, the light that is God, we'll have no alternative but to admit that all have sinned. Or that surely there's not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins, as it says in Ecclesiastes 7, verse 20. And all of that brings us back to our text here. Look at verses 8 and 10. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And if you want to get rid of that deception, step into the light. And you'll see it. If you say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. And then verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Calvin says no one is free from sin. He intimates that we are all lost and undone, except the Lord comes to our aid with the remedy of pardon. And that brings us to the next quality of light, that it purifies. It purifies. It's not just pure. It doesn't just point out and reveal impurity, but it also purifies. Look again at these verses, beginning in verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him, proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And then verse 9, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All sin, all unrighteousness, purified in Christ. That little term, all sins, beloved, says so much. It involves every impurity, every sin, every transgression that the light we spoke of the light we fear because of what it might expose and reveal, all those offenses, all of them are purified by his blood. If we walk in the light, if we confess that he is light indeed, if we confess that we are sinners indeed, in the light of his light, then the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us or purifies us from all sin, and in him we stand purified. The penitent has here two of God's attributes, faithfulness and justice, to encourage and to support his or her faith. And so we come again to the fellowship or the communion that we have in him, 
which is what John is conveying here. First, we come to this table, walking in the light. We are those who have been told, have seen, and who know that God is light. In 2 Corinthians 4, 6, we read, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Secondly, we confess together that I'm not pure except in Christ. Whether we step up to the table and walk into a pool of light that identifies us as sinners, because this table is only for sinners, we appear before it, though, as sinners saved by grace, made purified by Christ's blood. You become a chosen race, part of a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And that's what I want to stress to you this morning, that even though that may be true, and you feel a certain sense of guilt, oh, how could I step into such a light? You can step into it if your faith and trust is in the purifying work of Jesus Christ. Because when you step into that light in him, you're clean. Because he bore your sins for you on the cross. We read a few moments ago those words from Proverbs 4.18. But the path of the righteous is like the light of day, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. We can have peace in the light of God's holiness Because Christ has made us holy through his blood. And so we can be at rest. In Revelation chapter 22 and verses 4 and 5 it says that the saints will seek his face and his name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp or sun for the Lord will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. That's the kingdom we come into, the kingdom of light. We find joy and peace in that light because of who Christ is and because of the purifying power of his blood. The promise here is, if you walk in that light and you confess that, yes, I am a sinner, then he will cleanse you from all sins. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you those sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's the promise we bring to this table as we partake together in the Lord's Supper. That yes, in the light we're found to be sinners, but the light purifies us. And through that purifying light, through that blood of Christ, we can come and we can serve God and we can worship and we can have the hope of an eternal kingdom in him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for what is ours in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, you tell us that when we come to our Savior's table, we are to examine ourselves and then come. And we have a fresh opportunity to do that 
here and now. Lord, in the light of Christ, we see our sin. But also in the light of Christ, we see our hope of purifying grace. And so, Lord, we confess those sins and then we rest in Christ and his promise. And Lord, we come with joy and thanksgiving, knowing that the God who has given us life has given us new life through Jesus Christ. And may we rejoice together in the light of our God this day. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.